Welcome to Occasional Randomness. I am your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always, my fellow co-host, someone who loves a good hike through a swamp, Jason Johnson. Yeah, all I'll say is it's better than the pit of despair, though I may have lost some time off my life uh, somewhere along the way here. Uh, not, not sure what happened, but moving on. Nothing like trudging through a soundstage swamp. Yeah, obviously I'll, I'll get more into it later, but th this thing had such Princess Bride vibes, I, I, I couldn't pass it up. So, All right, so as if you haven't figured it out, uh, this time around we're continuing our regular Farscape review with Season 3, Episode 10, Relativity, which, as you can probably figure out, takes place in the swamp. And then after that, we are going to finish our review of The, M the Mandalorian Season 3 with Episodes 5 through 8. And just a little reminder, if you like our little podcast here, please give us a like or a review wherever you listen to this at. We don't care where it is. Just leave it somewhere. Park benches, you know, laundry yeah, mats, random, whatever. Random people, you know, fit, fit the theme of the show, whatever. It's anybody. At least occasionally. Yeah. So, you know, help spread the word if you like it and let people know about us. Because if you like this, probably other people that you know do also. All right. So since we're alternating... Recapping the episode, I think I did last time, so I think you're up for this one. Yeah, I, I, that seems right. Uh, so unless you want to randomly switch it up, but okay, I'll get this one. Yeah, we could flip a coin. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Google flip D one. Yeah. No way. Even though it's an audio <laughs> podcast and I can't see what you flip, but hey, you, you can, yeah, you can yeah. say anything you want. My, my D one says it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, Farscape season three, episode ten, relativity. So we start out with Talon having landed in a jungle planet to continue to heal from his injuries. Uh, see previous episode. Rigel and Stark are complaining that Aaron and Crichton were extremely loud during the night. In the next room, Aaron and Crichton are in bed together under the covers and Crichton bangs on the wall, pretending to groan. As they kiss, Krace detects a ship in the vicinity and calls everyone to command. It's the Vigilant, the Peacekeeper Retrieval ship that's after them, and it's landed on the planet. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Zalek's son and... Three, I'll slaughter this word, Calartus, Pina Coladas, uh, whatever they are. Um, Pina Coladas, yeah. Right. <laughs> who, uh, I'm going to definitely go borrow that one from Crichton and use that for this recap. They're having problems with the planet's heavy gravity emerge from a prowler. The injured one says that it will earn its share, but Zalix shoots it and tells the other two that their shares have just increased. And now you know she means business because that's some hard leadership right there. Yeah, you know, the weak shall not inherit their portion? I don't know. Anyway, Crichton, Crace, and Aaron go outside to act as decoys and keep the squad from finding Talon until he has healed. Rigel and Stark find vines growing inside that belong outside. So Stark and Rigel start to try to cut them. However, Rigel is convinced that Talon will be able to pull free once he's fully recovered. Zalix is watching Crichton, Aaron, and Crace as they scout and opens fire. Lots... And lots of gunfire ensues, and during the fight, Aaron draws Zalix away from everyone. Krace is shot in the arm, and Aaron manages to shoot Zalix in the leg, but is distracted by Crichton calling for her. Zalix grabs her from behind and tells her, move or you die. Zalix asks Aaron where he is, and a fistfight begins, during which Aaron knocks Zalix unconscious. Crichton, meanwhile, finds Krace bleeding from the arm, and Krace tells him that they're using Colartus, Pina Colartus, who will find and kill him if he's left bleeding. One of their hearts has burst, and the other two agree to continue the hunt without Zalix. Aaron has tied up Zalix and patched up her injured leg. And Zalix asks who she is, and she replies that she's Aaron Soon, her daughter. Zalix says that if she's her daughter, then she is a peacekeeper. 
but Aaron says she's not anymore, and Zaylitz concludes that Aaron must be with Krace, indicating she didn't know. Hmm. Crichton is holding Krace up as they look for Aaron. Aaron is forcing Zaylitz back to Talon, and Zaylitz tells her that naming the gunship Talon after her father is sentimental and weak, but Aaron tells her that she has only kept Zaylitz alive for possible use as leverage. Back to Crichton and Krace, they're lost, but find some smelly sludge and they should cover their scent from the Kalartas. Rigel tells Stark that as soon as Talon is healed, they're leaving, whether the others have returned or not, just as Aaron comes in with Zalix. The Kalartas are confused since they are picking up no scent, but they manage to detect body heat. Crichton is visited by Harvey, who tells him that Crichton's subconscious summoned him. Crichton asks if the Kalartas are everything Krace said they are, to which Scorpius responds by saying yes. In that, at least, Krace was completely forthright. Crichton asks where Krace has not been forthright. Back on Talon, Zalix retrieves a blade from under her skin and cuts herself loose before inhaling some sort of combat drug that makes her immune to pain. She attacks Aaron and Stark and stabs Rigel. She locks up Stark and Rigel, and Rigel is cut open and dying, barely managing to ask Stark for help. Aaron is tied up, as Zalix says how remarkable Talon is. She's severing his higher function so that she can take him to high command and tells Aaron that her orders are to subdue the gunship for transport, then track and deliver her second target. Krace is tied up as Crichton says that being a former captain, he would know all the things the peacekeepers wouldn't want to get out and wondered why Krace wanted Talon so bad. But then it came to him. Krace needs them. He knew they wouldn't help him, but would do anything for Talon. The peacekeepers are after Krace too. And Krace says that it's not only, that's not the only reason he helped them, but Crichton says the peacekeepers can have him and leaves Krace for the taking. But he's in the main title credits. He, he can't leave. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Maybe that'll work its way out. Back on Talon, Aaron tries to convince Zalix not to sever Talon's higher functions. Zalix calls her daughter a traitor, telling her that she is pathetic. But Aaron reminds Zalix of the night she visited Aaron, and Zalix tells Aaron that she paid for her actions. She was given a chance to redeem herself by killing Talon, Aaron's father. The Kalartas find Krace, but Crichton jumps them and manages to stab both of them. Krace is angry at being used as a decoy and tells Crichton that he's going to execute him, then just kill him, but don't leave him to die. He then asks Crichton how he will command Talon if Aaron is not there or she's dead. Zalek watches the vid recording of her telling Aaron that she is her mother. Stark tells Aaron that Rigel was dead for several microts, but he managed to seal Rigel's wounds with vines, which are aiding in the healing process. Zalix says the vid is old history. Aaron's father is dead, and Aaron will now face a tribunal on account of high treason. One of the Kalartas wakes up in the jungle, as does Rigel back on Talon. He says that he needs bed rest, but Aaron gets him to untie them. Zalix leaves Talon and retrieves a weapon from the Prowler, as Crichton and Krace make their way to Talon. Krace is, re- is attacked by the revived Kalarta, but Crichton helps, and as Zalix goes to fire from the bushes, Aaron jumps her. They fight, and Zalix tells her that she would try and take Aaron back, but her corruption is too advanced. Aaron says that her corruption began the day she was conceived. She tells Zalix that her independence came from the woman she had only seen once, and she is part of Zalix, she is the part of Zalix that wanted to rebel. Zalix calls Aaron an aberration, but Aaron says that she is her child. Crichton and Krace kill the Kalarta, and Aaron manages to get a hold of Zalix's gun. Aaron says they'll have to kill Zalix, but Crichton says that she can't be the one to do it. Zalix says that Aaron can't do it because she is afraid. Krace tells Crichton that Aaron is right. They can't let Zalix live. If they do, she'll come after him again. 
Crichton says Aaron will not be the one to kill her mother, so Crace tells him that he will do it. Crace tells Aaron to go, saying that she must not witness this. Zalix calls Aaron a coward, and Aaron drops to her knees and asks if she is right, and if they let Zalix live, she will come after them again. Zalix asks Aaron if she expects her to lie, to beg for her life. She says that Crace is right, she will hunt them down and kill them. Aaron says goodbye, mother, as Crichton takes her away. As they leave, Zalix tells Crace to do it. Aaron goes to turn back, but they hear the sounds of gunfire, and Aaron is left to be comforted in Crichton's arms. Back on Talon, Stark says that Rigel's recovery is a miracle. He says that Rigel is lucky to be alive again, and Rigel questions again. Stark tells him that for a while he was dead, and that when he joined with Rigel to bring him back, he met with Xan. He says that she looked content and whispered a prayer of guardianship. She is watching over them. Crichton asks Aaron how Crace is, and Aaron says that he is trying to splice his neural engrams with Talon so that Talon will be able to navigate on his own again, and they could finally get some sleep or not. She tells Crichton that he doesn't have to wait up, but he wants to. She tells him that that's all they can do, but Crichton is concerned with a large part of Crace's sight now residing in Talon. But it's the only way to bring Talon back to life. Aaron then tells Crichton that with Zalix gone, all her connections to the Peacekeepers are completely severed. Okay, so a little bit of trivia for this episode. It's the first episode written in by Rockne O'Bannon, the creator of Farscape, since the first season. The jungle planet, as we kind of mentioned earlier, was constructed on a soundstage at Homebush Bay. No location filming took place, and every type of special effect machine was used to enhance the atmosphere, including fog machines, dry ice, and fire machines. Creature costume designer Lou Esley gave the Kalartas look an Egyptian theme, in order to hide their costumes, zippers, and seams in a creative way. And finally, Crace's yelp of pain as Crichton Manning handles him through the swamp is genuine. Lanny Tupu stumbled as Ben Browder was pulling on his arm, and Tupu insisted on repeating the yelp in subsequent takes. So, uh, after all that, Eric, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, overall, this is a, a good episode, or I guess I wouldn't call it great, as well, this is probably one thing that was a little annoying, but we'll get into that. But, um... Yeah, this is obviously what we've been waiting for. You know, Aaron finally gets to meet her mother, and it was probably everything drama-wise that you would want it to be, right? Uh, you know, they had wonderful scenes, which you know we'll get here into in a little bit. And you know, then also we have like the the Crichton and Craze subplot that was good too, as they're you know running around the swamp trying to survive. But then you learn that oh, now you know why Crace is kind of glommed onto us. It's like, you know, so, you know, John's never fully trusted Crace, and why should he? You know, he's the reason why he's stuck in the mess he's in right now, right? What he finds out just proves that point further. And then what maybe keeps it from being a wonderfully great episode is the stark Rigel subplot, which was half good, I guess, as we'll probably get to it here in a minute. But yeah, overall, one and a half thumbs up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I really enjoyed this one. I think maybe even a little more than, than you indicated. I didn't really get hung up on any of the points. You know, we've kind of talked a little bit about the, the, the scenery, but I, I, I kept having Princess Bride flashbacks for the fire swamp. And uh, while I'm disappointed we didn't get any RUSs, the whole, uh, the, the scenery worked for me in this episode. Relationship wise, I think we were all in a good spot. And uh, yeah, I, I think that the, this was a good overall story. Although I got to admit, I did not expect them to, um, resolve the plot with Aaron's mom quite so quickly, right? Like I expected that to draw out for a good bit more the rest of the season. Yeah. And yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. But yeah, rodents of unusual size. Yeah. I don't think they exist. Yeah. Uh, they must not on this planet because we didn't get to see them. So, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, he had, he had the little fire shooting, or not fire, it was like a, you know, uh, poisonous gas shooting geyser. It was a perfect chance right there. To... The, and I re- see they, they, they did roll one of those Corlatas into it, so I guess he's kind of the same. Almost. Yeah, yeah. I was really expecting you to, to, to have a good scene where one of the Pina Coladas gets hit with the gout of, you know, stuff. <laughs> and it was it was like mirroring the other the scene from Princess Bride, but they got close. Yeah, or they'd like stick him in there and then like they'd shoot it or something and set off a spark and it'd be like a big flame geyser would come up. But yeah, they didn't. I guess, you know, having fire on a on a soundstage, probably not a good idea. So True. All right. So let's kind of go through some of these. The, the opening is hilarious where you're wondering, you're wondering what Rachel Stark are talking about. Like, you know, John and Aaron were, you know, loud last night. Like, huh? What? And then it cuts to them, like, you know, in bed. You're like, oh, okay, finally. Now that last episode they've dealt with hopefully finally the drama but trying to split them up so hopefully they're a permanent couple now you know and they can move forward and yeah it's just hilarious that yeah he's like banging on the wall and acting like they're you know having sexy time and you know they're all like listening at the wall they're they're like at their ears against the wall like what's going on (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think this one being written by abandon may have helped you know kind of move that forward a little bit and yeah as i've repeatedly said this is my preferred status of the crew you know, kind of getting some of the drama outside of the, the family. So that was nice to have, you know, a solid core and external conflict. Although now, you know, when we get the crew back together, there's some potential for drama with the other John, right? Because now you've got one John who's been on Talon with Aaron and kind of built the relationship and the other John's still John, but not. Yeah, because he was complaining that you know this is what was going to happen, right? The, the you know the other Johns like you know the, you know the other one's going to get Aaron and become whatever with her, and you know, I can't you know get to her or whatever. So yeah, he's right. <laughs> yes, he called it. So now you wonder which one's the real. Even though it doesn't matter because te- technically they're they were the same Crichton. So yeah, now, now you're kind of wondering even more which one was the one that got twinned you know, versus the twin. So I don't know. We'll we'll never know probably. So it's just we'll just have to deal with it. So. Yeah, and obviously, you know, are they going to continue to exist? Are they going to put them back together? What's that outcome going to be is the the interesting resolution, right? So we'll get there one day. Mm-hmm. And then we have probably like a couple of minute gun battle through the uh, fake swamp, which, I mean, to me, it seemed kind of like a little herky-jerky, kind of uneven, like they cut some cutting and flashes and whatever. So I don't know if that's what they're trying to go for to show like, you know, the fog of war kind of deal or... Because they're on a fixed, I don't know how big the soundstage was, but, you know, so they got to keep them kind of contained and but make it look like they're in a giant swamp. I don't know. And then, I don't know what kind of power source these rifles have, but of course, they always seem to run out of ammunition just at the wrong time. Because everyone kept running out of ammo and just throwing the gun away and pulling out other guns. I'm like, you don't have, like, spare power cells or clips or something? I don't <laughs> that's that's the, the beauty of uh, laser rifles versus real rifles, right? So that you, you never have to actually quantify the charge you just never it's whenever the plot says oh we need them to toss their rifles and, and have some drama here so this is where they're going to run out of ammo and toss the rifles it doesn't have to make any logical sense because it's just a charge yeah it's like you know they're in the, the, the matrix and they just like just keep pulling guns out and just shoot them oh the gun's done throw it away another gun you know <laughs> now see that, that there's an episode for you crossover you know the matrix and and farscape but yeah, yeah I, I mean, I mean that that came out right right when Farscape aired, right ninety nine. So I mean, yeah, who knows? But uh-huh. Could have worked. I forget how much the overlap is there. That's interesting. Although we had our virtual reality kind of episodes, sort of like the the dream sequence where things aren't right, or yeah, you know, so they they kind of riffed on it technically, or that, that's an old science fiction concept, but still, you know. Yeah, although without the although well, 
I started to say that we don't really have the technology part, right? That everything's mostly organic based. And so we don't have a, a the same computer world that we have in the matrix. Although we did have, uh, you know, Scorpius and John in each other's heads because of the computer chip. So maybe, maybe not, who knows, which we'll talk about Harvey in a little bit. I, I did want to say that I agree with you on the, the herky jerky stuff. I think, I, I think that was intentional way of hiding the fact that they were on the soundstage, you know, plus, you know, uh, those, it just kind of gives them a way to uh, give it, to use that scenery when I think if you had a slower, less dramatic plot, right, where everything's not bouncing around so much, that the, the set wouldn't have held up as well under scrutiny. Yeah, you know, it does add more drama, like, because, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on. It's not just like an overhead shot of like people shooting each other, you know. Yeah, you have to have that kind of like quick cuts and people jumping around and, you know. Yeah, yeah it'd, be too, it'd be too easy to see the seams, right, if they held, held on yeah. something too long. <laughs> And then, of course, Rigel wants to leave once Talon's healed, if no one's back. And at this point, I mean, I, I keep pointing it out just because, but at this point, I give up. I mean, <laughs> it's just, some people never change. So at this point, it, it's kind of stopped bugging me. So I'm just going to point it out just because, you know, it is what it is. That's Rigel. But at least he's not alone, and Stark's there to talk him out of it, if it came to that, which it didn't. My my take on this is I think that they're having a little trouble figuring out how to use Rigel this season. He doesn't seem to be as essential as some of the other characters have been and, and the focus of the plots and things like that. So it, they kind of just, how do we use Rigel this episode? Oh, I know. Well, having want to leave, you know, how do we, how do we use Rigel this episode? Oh, well, having want to strand the crew and get, take off on his own. I think it's just they're them struggling to find a way to use him with this large of a cast. Yeah, but then, contrary to what he's been portrayed as, when Zelix was beating up the rest of the crew and trying to take over the ship, he lunged at her with a knife, which was way out of character, if you believe that he's just this coward that just wants to leave all the time. And he, he pretty much paid for it. <laughs> so so maybe he was right in the first place. Don't really do things. He, he tried to step out of his comfort zone, and he got <laughs> got stabbed for it. So. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure he'll milk this injury for the next four or five episodes. Yeah, he'll, ne- he'll never let the Stark live it down, even though Stark saved his life, apparently. But hey, that's how Rigel works. And hey, speaking of uh, things we haven't seen in a while, Harvey's back. Woo! Woo! And apparently this time he's helpful. So, which might be the new way Harvey's working now that he's not an Earl chip trying to subvert Crichton. So he's just part of his subconscious now. And, you know, he wants to be helpful because I guess if Crichton dies, he ain't getting out this time. So, <laughs> yeah. although he is doing what he does best, he's, you know, sowing some dissent, some paranoia some confusion with John, which feeds into John's already complete distrust of Crace that probably hasn't ever gone away. And this just reinforces the fact that, you know, hey, that Crace guy, you know, you never know what he's doing there. You know, <laughs> so I love it. Yeah, I'm, I was glad to see Harvey back as well. I, I think that's, that's as, as much as I wasn't a fan of that initial plot point, I, I've kind of grown into enjoying the, the interplay, right? So that, that's really cool. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder if now that the chip is gone, if this is not John's subconscious, the dark and paranoid traits, right? This the stuff that he's pushing away, and, and you know this, this, the the personality traits that we don't want to confront, right? But being able to to make it manifest it, and make it into Harvey, gives him a way to analyze things through that lens that he doesn't necessarily want to do, right? He wants to the the, the good explorer NASA astronaut part of him, you know, is is kept separate from the the darker paranoid traits. I don't know, just a theory. Yeah, so it's like a split personality versus like a true another consciousness in him, right? Or like 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 a two face, like Batman villain kind of thing, right? Yeah, it just gives him like an internal manifestation to talk to and and but inform him, right? Because you know a normal person would be paranoid of Crace, 
and this is John's paranoia driving it. And then they kind of do that little plot twisty kind of thing where you would think that Zalex is there to also maybe take Aaron back, but apparently she had no idea that her daughter was there. So that, that maybe confirms one of our theories that um, she had no clue that Aaron, you know, that Peacekeeper coming up wasn't telling her about Aaron. You know, they were on a craze instead, which they knew craze had talent. They did, probably didn't necessarily know or think that maybe Aaron might be around there too. So why tell mom, right? Because who cares? So, you know, and Crace is probably the more important of the two to grab anyway, because, you know, he's in command of Talon. You know, and like Harvey said, you know, he, you know, Crace knows things because, you know, he's got all the Peacekeeper Command knowledge and whatever. So that's the one to target. So, you know, you, you can have your, your rogue Peacekeeper captains running around the galaxy and, you know, having that, you know, having to kill that Peacekeeper, Peacekeeping vibe. And, you know, we're in charge and we're in command. We know what we're doing. It's like, oh, we got this rogue dude running around. So, nope, gotta get him and take care of him. Yeah, and although I don't think Aaron was part of the package overall, just kind of a way to get to Kreis and Talon when she, when she showed up, I kind of wonder what Peacekeeper's command's thought was there, because they knew she was there too. Is she not that level of threat, right? She did the stuff that she knows isn't as bad of a look. I don't know. It's, it, it it makes me wonder. But obviously, like you say, Kreis was the, the big target, and he was higher ranking, so that makes sense. It just I'm surprised that Aaron wasn't part of it at all. Yeah, I mean, they, they were on those wanted posters or wanted whatever robot, you know, projection things, you know, last season. But yeah, maybe now that, you know, Scorpius has his chip, he's doing his wormhole research. It's like, you know, Aaron's not the concern anymore. I don't care. We don't care about her anymore. But Grace, yeah, we can't have him running around with this gunship. You know, we got to take care of that. But who knows? We'll see. Um, I'm sure they'll keep trying because they didn't get him, either of them. That's right. <laughs> and hey, so here's a neat trick on how you escape from some bonds. So, you know, Zalex gets captured, gets bound up. And um, yeah, she just happens to have a knife like under her skin, like, ow. And she like cuts it out. <laughs> I mean, that's de- you know, that's dedication. I mean, that's that's some hardcore training and how to escape from your prisoners. <laughs> it's cutting edge technology. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's definitely a different take on escaping from your bonds. So it's not like, you know, you find something sharp and cut yourself. It's like, no, you have something sharp in you. <laughs> and then, of course, she stabs Roger with it, too. So, hey, you know, it's dual dual use. Yeah, I, I get your point. But I guess the the positive there is that it, it uh, couldn't be poisoned if it was inside of her, right? Yeah, that kind of defeats the point. It's your, 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 your combo is suicide capsule slash escape. <laughs> <laughs> Break seal to no, wait. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Break knife to wait no, and then like we talked about earlier, you know, obviously this whole episode was the the confrontation between Aaron and her mom, you know, that we've been building for for the last couple episodes. And her mom's like, "Oh, who are you?" And like, "I don't have a daughter." Like, "Yeah, you do. <laughs> don't don't you remember the thing?" And then she plays into it. it's like, "Okay, fine. Well, then you know, you made me have to kill your father because they found out about us, and and you know, I'm gonna take you back to stand trial for high treason." It's like, "Yeah, great, thanks, mom. Uh, I'll just stay here, really." <laughs> yeah, and it was a great example of how irredeemable most peacekeepers peacekeepers are. I mean, even her daughter's not enough to bring her back, but. In a way, I was kind of glad for that because I was kind of worried that we were going to go into this and have it be a, oh, you know, love wins out and, you know, we keep redeeming peacekeepers, you know, and then we're just going to end up with an entire crew of redeemed peacekeepers. We keep going, you know, how many, how many can we, can all be saved and you end up with all that? And it's like, no, they're, they're really, you know, completely brainwashed zealots for the most part. And Aaron is going to be the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, if you, and granted they weren't married, but if, you know, if you kill your, you know, father of your daughter and then you want to take your daughter back for a tribunal, which I mean, 
they're not going to find her not guilty. So like, you know, what's going to happen if you take her back. So yeah, I mean, she's just totally drunk the Kool-Aid, you know, she's all in, you know, she's going to do whatever she can do to keep her place in the only job she knows. Right. So, and, and she tells them as much, right. They have to kill her to. Yeah. Cause at that final fight, you know, it, and even Aaron knows it. She's like, we have to kill her. And Crichton, and Crichton I guess just, just doesn't get it. He's like, no, but, you know, we're just going to, I guess, leave her here. I don't know. Like, no, we can't kill her. And she's like, no, she's going to keep coming. And then he, he, he still won't do it or, you know, sanctions, I guess. And then even Crace is like, no, she's right. And, you know, I guess now at this point, cause John just doesn't believe anything Crace says. He's like, I, he's still not listening. So I think it's only really when Zalix herself said, no, I'm going to keep coming for you that I guess he finally, it finally sunk in and it's like, okay, this has to be done, but obviously Aaron can't kill her mom. So it's like, okay, Crace, you do it. I'll take her away and do what you got to do. And of course, given the sci-fi concept of no body, no death, all you hear is gunshots in the distance. And is she dead? You know, it's obviously a great opening that if this was popular or if another writer picked it up, they can carry it on later this season, next season, who knows what. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see her again. Yeah, I mean, for some shows, I would I would assume that they were just avoiding a death scene. Yeah, if you set the expectation that she gets shot, you hear it, you know, you see the characters flinch and all that kind of stuff, that you get the feeling that oh yeah, she got shot. But Farscape's really never fear, been been afraid to show you things like that. So I don't think that was it in this case. And it seems convenient that in the same episode that they showed us Crace's treachery and that you know what he was really up to the whole time and, and using them, they they give him an out because if he, quote, killed Zalex, then it could be. But like you say, they can always just bring it back and it's chalk it up to, to Crace being Crace. Yeah, or, or if you kill her, then this could send somebody else. And at least here you might have some leverage, you know, if she has some kind of remorse for her daughter or something, I don't know, you know, you can play it up. And again, it's better drama than just some strange new people coming along. So, you know. Yeah, better better the devil you know, right. Right. All right, and then we wrap things up nicely as we do in Farscape. Well, not really, but uh, with learning two new things. One good and one not so good. So the good, kind of, is that when Raja was bringing Stark back from the dead, he says he saw Zan and says that she's watching over them. So that's cool. Yeah. She's still she's still around like in spirit. Unfortunately no actress, but yeah. Yeah, well, you know. I guess when the blue makeup's killing you, I guess you kinda you're kinda done. <laughs> I don't know. And the bad thing, or at least bad for the crew, great for drama, is that Crace is apparently splicing his neural engrams in with Talon to fix Talon's damage. And John doesn't like that, and he's probably right given what happened last episode. So this is probably not going to end well at all, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering how they were going to handle Aaron destroying her link last last episode, and now I, that Crace is completely spiced in like this, uh, and will have even more control and influence. Yeah, I, I think we're setting ourselves up for a a bad fallout next time we get back to this crew. Yeah, or if we ever do our um, Star Trek original series watch of episodes, since you haven't seen most of them or any of them, there's one called the Ultimate Computer where the Enterprise gets the honor of having this computer be able to take over all the functions of the ship and only run with a couple of people on the ship versus the whole crew. And that computer's new approach was that its designer, he put his engrams into the computer. And of course the computer goes nuts, takes over the ship and wants to kill everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, this is not, this is the same thing in that show. This ain't going to go well. This is going to be trouble two episodes from now because next episode will be about, you know, Moya's crew. So we'll see what happens two weeks from now. You said trouble and I thought we were going to have tribbles, but anyway, 
Hey. <laughs> My little bit of Star Trek knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's because it was in one Deep Space Nine episode. That's probably... <laughs> yeah. I think it got referenced on some other sci-fi show. But anyway. All right. So before we wrap up, or we are wrapping up, uh, any other comments about this episode? No, I mean, just to kind of recap, I, I did really enjoy this one. I think it goes high on my list of the season. I, I like the, the interplay. I like the resolution. I liked, you know, the family drama. So this was one of my favorite split crew episodes so far. Yeah, like I said, you know, one and a half thumbs up just because I said I didn't like what Rigel did. But then again, I also said I'm over it, which I guess I'm not because I mentioned it. So. <laughs> so yeah, we can tell you're over it. It's OK. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah definitely another solid episode of the season all right so before we jump into mandalorian season three to give people time to jump away if they don't care or haven't watched it yet or whatever we'll just tell you what's up next for farscape so next time around will be season three episode 11 incubator and playing our usual game of what does that mean well two things possibly obvious one is what it is the main definition is an incubator is used to help grow or protect like prematurely born things like you know eggs or babies little microorganisms stuff like that so this could be like an alien type episode where something gets implanted in one of our characters or more than one of our characters and they're carrying it around and have to try to deal with that or having worked in it for decades and having watched all of silicon valley uh, it could be some kind of like maybe tech or science startup or um, collective kind of thing, like a think tank maybe. So maybe we might get more of Scorpius and his wormhole research, possibly. I, I didn't think about it until you mentioned it, but I, I really do like that approach. Um, it, it may be the former, but given that, you know, last time the upcoming split crew, crew B or whatever we're calling them, you know, A and B, how we're going to handle it, is the one that seems to be dealing with Scorpius plot with, with the wormhole tech. I think that you're right. I think we may be switching back and, and seeing Scorpius's next move and how that crew is going to deal with it. Yeah, because we already had like the alien micro, like that that smart virus from last season that already took over people and jumped around. So, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sci-fi and they, they reuse stuff, but they kind of already did a good episode on that like last season ago. So I'm, hopefully it's not that. And this same crew just dealt with the possession already. You know, like they literally were possessed last episode. Good point too. Yeah. So yeah. So hopefully they won't go back to that so soon. So they're just constantly getting getting a, you know something embedded in them. Just nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> every every time we go back to them, something new embeds itself. People, people, people get cloned. They get stuff in them. They whatever. It's just this. That's how we roll now. That's all Farscape is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's your homework for Farscape. And if you're leaving, we'll see you next time. If not, hang around for a couple seconds, and we'll jump into Mandalorian. All right, so might be a while since you've seen four episodes of Mandalorian, and so we'll give you like a quick paragraph recap of the episodes, then we'll jump into our thoughts and opinions, since it's an opinion podcast, about what we thought. All right, so I guess we can alternate again like we did last time. That'll work. That seems random. Yeah. All right, so episode five, or since they're doing chapters, chapter 21, called The Pirate, 
So remember those pirates back in season one, I mean, episode one of the season? Well, they're back and they're attacking Navarro again. This time, uh, Din Djarin's not there. Yeah, it doesn't go so well. So Grief Karga contacts New Republic pilot Carson Tiva, if you remember him from you know those little cameo episodes the last couple seasons, to try to get help from the New Republic. Uh, he goes back to his boss, but they don't really seem to care too much because Navarro's not officially signed on to the New Republic. So Carson goes kind of outside the chain of command and contacts Din Djarin directly, and Din convinces the Mandalorian covert to go help Navarro. Uh, they stop the invasion, yay, and uh, Grief gives them land on Navarro if they want to call their own, which is cool if they can't get, you know, Mandalore back, they get somewhere to live. Yeah, or an outpost. Yeah. But meanwhile, the armorer tells Bo-Katan that since she saw the Mythosaur a couple episodes ago, that's a sign that she can reunite Mandalore. So she can walk around without her helmet and no one's going to complain about it. Well, yeah. And then in the little closing tag, uh, we go back to our, our buddy Carson from New Republic, who's flying along and finds the wreckage of Moff Gideon's prison transport. But there's no bodies in it. <sighs> oh. And that leads us into chapter 22, Guns for Hire, which breaks our theme of the something naming convention for these four episodes. So I'm a little disappointed in the name. Starts out with Bo-Katan and Din Djarin off, on, uh, off to Plazer 15 to try to recruit her former army, which is now led by Axe Wolves. And I, w- I always want to say wolves. So apologies. I know. I, I, that. I saw that too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're called the Axe Wolves. No, that's the dude's name, not the, not, not the group's name. Yeah, clan wolves, I mean wolves, I mean whatever. But they're in the employ of the rulers of the planet, uh, played by Jack Black and Lizzo. Ooh, cameos. Before they can talk to her army, they need to help the rulers subdue some rogue droids that are threatening their society. You know, as droids do, because, you know. (laughs) Yeah, droids got a droid. Maybe not. Anyway, uh, after stopping one droid, they follow its trail back to a droid bar, which apparently they have those. I have so many questions, but anyway, we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to it. Droids droids are always a thing. And discovered that the droids were sabotaged by, through nanodroids, so droids and droids, uh, in the bar's maintenance fluid, maintenance fluid, which comes from the planetary security chief, Helget, uh, which is played by yet another celebrity cameo, Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> no Einstein, though, just Christopher Lloyd. No, no Doc Brown here. Just Helget reveals himself as a separatist before being apprehended. Then Bo-Katan meets with her old army, challenges Axe to a leadership duel, and wins. Den, du- Den does some clever rules lawyering and heads, hands Bo-Katan the Darksaber, which is rightfully now belongs to her. And then we jump into chapter 23, The Spies, which we're back to our The title theme. Yay. Moff Gideon's alive, babies! And they didn't do it in a crawl. Anyway, more on that. Yeah, later. they just they just jump right into it. They, they don't tease it out. It's like right there. So, you know. He's informed by Elia Kane. Remember her, the not-so-reformed Imperial Defector from Episode 3 that went off on a tangent that we thought? Nope, not a tangent. Fidel to the plot. So she's told him that the Mandalorians intend to retake Mandalore. Then we have a pretty cool scene where Gideon talks to the Shadow Council, which is a group of former Imperial leaders, including such name-dropper people as Commandant Brendel Hux, Captain Peleon, Peleon, which we'll get to in a minute, and they name-drop the crap out of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Woohoo! And then back on Navarro, the Mandalorians are gearing up to go back to Mandalore. And Grief Karga presents Din Djarin with a surprise. IG-12, not 11, 12, a rebuilt IG-11 with a twist. It's just a dumb mech suit, basically, and Grogu is the pilot. So, all right, mech combat. Hey, all right. And they get to Mandalore. They encounter some survivor Mandalores from its, uh, Mandalorians from its destruction. They all team up, and they find the Great Forge. I have questions about the survivors, but we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> 
and why you wouldn't know about the giant creature that's next. Anyway, uh, but unfortunately, they're ambushed by stormtroopers wearing Beskar armor, and Din gets captured by a Beskar wearing, pretty cool Beskar wearing Moff Gideon. Not quite Iron Man, but close enough. Bo-Katan and the others escape, while Paz Vizsla from a couple episodes ago, as you know, the guy with the big like Gatling laser gun, gives his life to buy time for them, eventually being killed rather nastily by those really cool looking, also Imperial Praetorian Guard. Which then leads us into chapter 24, The Return. Bo-Katan and the others retreat to the surface, while Axe Wolves, or Wolves, goes back to their fleet uh, above Mandalore to warn them. He sends all the Mandalorians down to the planet to stop Gideon, while he stays behind to stop the attacking TIE squadrons, which are coming up from Mandalore. Grogu, in his cool uh, IG-12 mech armor, uh, frees Din, and they find the clone tanks filled with clones of Gideon, which Din promptly destroys. So, easy come, easy go. After the battle with the Mandalorians and Beskar stormtroopers, Bo-Katan, Grogu, Din Djarin confront the Gideon and his Praetorian guards. Din stops the guards while Bo-Katan almost defeats Gideon, but he destroys the Darksaber. Axe rams the capital ship into the Imperial base, which seemingly kills Gideon. Grogu protects Bo-Katan and Din from the blast with a force bubble. And afterwards, the Great Forge is fired up again, and Din formally adopts Grogu as his son and apprentice. They go back to Carson Tiva and agree to do contract work for the New Republic, and they move into a cabin on the outskirts of Navarro, which is now under the protection of their new marshal, the rebuilt IG-11. Yeah, so if this ended with Season 3, they wrapped up all the little bows and tied everything into a knot, and it's all wonderful and great, which I love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even with a little zoom-in bubble, right? I mean, it was like you know an iris, I guess I should say, not a bubble. So uh, very, very nicely wrapped. Yeah, so all in all, I thought they did, you know, this was another amazing season of The Mandalorian, which I guess it's, you know, what, season 3.5, if you count half of the Book of Boba Fett was The Mandalorian, but anyway. Uh, which makes you wonder about that, but anyway. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Hmm. John Favreau is a great writer, knows what he's doing, and has had a vision and, and, and sold it. All right, so that's four episodes to go through. So I guess we'll just, I don't know, we'll just jump around here and see what we get. So. <laughs> yeah, it's random, so we'll, we'll, yeah, I mean, we'll hey, just jump know. it. <laughs> Y'all know what you're getting, sorry. Yeah. So I think we were pretty much right in our guesses last time, for the first half, that the rest of this season is now going to pivot to being about reuniting Mandalorians and reclaiming Mandalore, which, you know, check, check. But, you know, if things didn't work out too well, at least they could stay on Navarro and have, like, you know, their, you know, 40 acres and a mule kind of thing or whatever. <laughs> so. Which they did, right? Because that's where Den ended up, or the Dens, right? The Dens ended up. Yeah, right. Which is the next season. Yeah, I guess now we can't just call them Din, like, because you're, like, Din Jaren. So, like, Din's, like, like their surname, or that's, so, yeah, because now it's Din Grogu. So I'm like, Wait. okay, so you, so you can't just say Din now, because like, who are you talking about? <laughs> Which is confusing, because all the rest of the, man the named Mandalorians are something clan so you know bo-katan axe woes pax vigsla you know clan vizsla so you have clan names at the end except for din so that's a little confused yeah but hey maybe it means something to the mandalorians we don't know so <laughs> yeah. true this is the way right <laughs> well and you know he was older when he was a foundling so maybe he came with that name i don't know yeah who knows can't remember back that far but Nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's, there's too much TV. I got, I got short-term memory loss. I'm just trying to keep track of what I'm trying to watch now, man. Man, I'm diving into Bad Batch right now. We're going to mix everything together. No, okay, go ahead. Yeah. We'll stick with this. <laughs> and, you know, the New Republic's basically, eh, that's your own business, Navarro. You're not check the roster here. Nope, you're not a member. Oh, well, sorry. Good luck. Which, I mean, you know, that kind of sucks, but I guess, you know, they're dealing with their own problems of 
building a new government, dealing with all your ex-imperials and remaining imperials and imperials you think you reformed that aren't reformed. Because right there in the middle of, I guess, the important, I don't know if he's a colonel or whatever he was, the, the commander guy is like the spy who's like trying to shove off Carson's concerns. Like, oh yeah, there's rumors about Imperials on the, on the out here. It's like, oh no, I'm sure it's fine. You know, she's like blowing this guy off to, you know, try and keep things the status quo and keep Moff Gideon, who's still alive and really pissed off the Mandalorians, keep him doing his thing while she diverts the New Republic from finding out about it. So, you know. Yeah, which is, and it's probably intentional, you know, I mean, the, but my my one interesting point, I guess, on that is that I feel like it's if anything, the Mandalorian and, and some of these other shows of that we've seen or other media we've seen have, have maybe liked the New Republic a lot less, right? So I, I'm really not that sad to see it get blown up in, in later movies. <laughs> so <laughs> they were just a bunch yeah, of jerks cause, anyway. Because what the, the old Republic lasted for like what several thousand years, and the New Republic lasted like what twenty? Twenty, yeah. So, <laughs> so. you know. Easy come, easy go. I mean, if it's run by these people and and the other stuff you got around is Jack Black, I, you know, there's we could lose some planets. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, right. And then you know we have the I guess the conclusion possibly again didn't see him burn up exactly, but you know of Moff Gideon. You know, so they kind of wrap up that entire plot line of all the prior seasons. So you know we learned that probably because he mentioned that you know his clones that were here they were creating were force sensitive, which leads us back to. Well, we found Grogu in the first place with the scientist guy who's now a brain-dead vegetable, uh, thanks to our little spy friend. And I guess they're trying to make force sensitive clones for whatever reason. They did that. Okay, wrap that wrap that up. We're leading into, I guess, the future live-action Star Wars, like the Ahsoka series, by dropping the Shadow Council and seeing our first ever live-action Admiral Pelion and dropping Admiral Thrawn's name like 45 times. So, you know, you know that's got to be in the Ahsoka series. It has to be, because they're, they're, they're just set that up completely to go that way. Yeah, And then we have this Commandant Hux guy, which I only knew the Hux name from the last Star Wars trilogy. I had no clue that he was apparently big in these new, the new Star Wars novels, which I haven't read. So, yeah, But well, hey, so there's live-action version of that guy who people have read about for a couple years now. So, hey. Yeah, and it's Hugs anyway. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> no, so, so a couple thoughts on that. The... The cloning thing, one of the, the cool theories I've seen, and take it for what it's worth, is that this might not even actually have been Gideon. It was one of the clones. So um, we may still have a Gideon floating around, or more Gideons, because you know, there's nothing to say that these are all the clones. Um, yeah, because I guess you have to test out your batch, right? Are they really Force-sensitive or not, or who knows? Yeah. Well, and one of the theories I saw just for fun was that um, you know, last season he had a mustache, and so because this guy didn't have a mustache that he was a clone and the real one's still out there. So, <laughs> so. it's like evil getting, cause he has a mustache and good getting, cause he doesn't have a mustache. Right. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait till you get to the one with the goatee, man. That's, that's the worst. Yeah. There you go. Then you know, for sure. He's the mirror, the mirror Gideon, yeah. which that would make him a good guy. What? I don't know. That's really confusing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I will say I'm, I'm really excited obviously to, to get into Pelion. I, I kind of, uh, cheered a little bit when I, I caught that name drop and uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn because I'm a huge Thrawn fan. Um, those were some of my favorite novels. Mm -hmm. There's a signed uh, Thrawn novel on the bookshelf behind me. Oh, cool. um, so uh, yeah, uh, really looking forward to that. I really liked Rebels. Um, that The end of that was one of my, one of the biggest cliffhangers I've got hanging out there in my, my Star Wars media and I'm really excited for them to resolve it and maybe get a real life live action Ezra Bridger. So mm -hmm. yeah. There's a lot to look forward to uh, in upcoming Star Wars media. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, spoilers for 
Ahsoka, which is not really a spoiler. Um, I think pretty much everybody from Rebels that's still alive is going to be a live-action person, so, except obviously for well, the one person in Rebels that didn't survive it. And no, I guess no spoilers now if you haven't seen that, but whatever. So he, he won't be there, but everybody else <laughs> apparently will be a live-action version, so that's going to be cool. So. Well, you narrowed it down because other than... than uh... Okay, fine. One person, there's everybody else we've seen. So we'll put it that way. Yeah. Because we've, right. we've seen literally everybody has, has shown up somewhere except for one person. And then I, I guess if any any episode of an eight episode season could not be as good as all the rest of them, I think it was episode six. The one with all the stunt casting and really odd storylines about droids. I guess just because I think I think of Jack Black as more like a weird comedy zany kind of dude. I, I didn't really buy him in the story. You know, he was a kind of little off. I just didn't really care for it, and and Lizzo as a, it, just, it didn't work for me. And then I, I think I had said in one Slack that I was half expecting the next celebrity cameo for them to like trot out Walt Disney's frozen head, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I probably got through this one a little bit better than than you did, although it's still probably one of the weaker episodes of the of the block for me. So here's a funny thing: I don't like comedies. I'm I'm not a fan of of comedy. They usually grate on my nerves. But Jack Black is one of those actors that usually when he shows up, uh, which is rare for a, com- for a comedy actor, I, I just enjoy. Uh, there's something about the-, the stuff he does that I just kind of enjoy his acting. And um, he- I do get laugh out of him. So uh, seeing him in this episode, you know, Lizzo was just there. You know, I could roll my eyes and move on from that one. I did really enjoy having uh, Doc Brown show up. So that one worked for me. And the plot, yeah, yeah there's, you know, droids are always droids and we just kind of have to deal with droids i know you have thoughts but uh (laughs) yeah it just kind of is part of star wars uh and we'll probably expand on that in a minute but as far as the actual plot of this one i'm a sucker for police procedurals and i just kind of flipped that switch in my head and said hey you know now we've got you know bokatan and and dinjarin doing a cop show buddy cop show and i'm here for that like if they want to do a full season of just those two out doing cop show stuff i'm for it yeah, I think if I would have thought of it that way, I might have enjoyed it more. Because <laughs> so, well, yeah, if you think if you think about it that way, yeah, because again, like sci-fi, like like Marvel's doing with the movies, they can make superhero movies do anything. It can be a cop show, it could be a comedy, it could be a a heist, it can be whatever. So yeah, same with the sci-fi, you can do like you know the buddy cop thing. Yeah. So spoiler alert: that's that's actually how I um not spoiler, but you know funny side note: it's how I get through um episode two because I, I mentally block <laughs> everything else from my, my brain, but from episode two, except for the fact that it is a Obi-Wan Kenobi cop show. So don't just, don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't need to rewatch it. That's just what it is in my head. And I kind of put it through the same lens on this episode. Yeah. And then we just have like, just, I guess a weird view into droid life. I, I, that I don't think I ever needed to know, or I like, I, I don't know what, I don't know if anybody knows what to do with droids in star Wars. Like are, are, are they property? Are they free? Do they have feelings? Why do they have to socialize in a bar? I, I, I mean, it's a cute concept. Like you, you go into a bar and it's a droid bar and they'll, they'll all look at the humans like you're in a droid bar. So, okay, is this like a long game joke on the no droids cantina scene in The New Hope? I, I mean, obviously that's what they're going for. You know, to, to, hey, ha ha, look, ha ha, funny. See, you know, it's just like, why are droids in a bar? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll agree with that. That Droids are one of those things that you know, it, it depends on the writer and the, the what the need of the scene, right? If it's a if it's a droid they want you to get attached to, then they're a character. You know, C C three PO, R two D two, BB eight, any of the any of the droids that they've been like, hey, these are gonna be 
crew members, right? You want to treat them just like the rest of the cast. And then if, if they're not, if they're toss away characters, then we really don't, they don't want us to be involved in them. They're property. They're, they're robots. And we're okay with them getting blown up. Uh, you know, see battle droids. Yeah. So yeah. Thousands and thousands of battle droids. Yeah. I mean, mass murder, right? I mean, it's, it's, and, and, you know, there's, there's been other ones like the, the pilot droid thing and solo and, and different things like that, where you're like, yeah, okay, maybe get attached to that droid, but don't get too upset. We can, we can use it for comedy or whatever, if it gets blown up. But, you know, so if it, so you're right, they never really know what to do with them. And they just kind of wave back and forth between, you know, full on people, part of the crew to just machines that you're blowing up in mass. Yeah, and they, I, I wouldn't harp on it, but it's just, you know, because other droids, they haven't gone this, this much detail into them. So they're, they're there, their characters are doing a little thing, but to have like a whole backstory now, I'm like, I didn't think about that before, but now you're making me think about it. Why? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, droids are cute, they do things, and it's fun. Now I'm thinking like droid life, like they, they go home and like, you know, oh, honey, I'm home. Like, I, what? I don't, I don't, I don't I'll need this. <laughs> well, so what you don't, what you haven't seen yet is, you know, we had a whole, what, seven seasons of clone wars plus plus bad batch where we've gotten you know into the the eyes of a the clone the clones right and in the movies you're kind of like oh no big deal we have these clone warriors and they were really cool armor but they they you know died out before the actual original trilogy so you know we aren't going to be too attached to them and no we spent seven seasons of an animated series becoming attached to clones hmm. and I, I think now what you're going to see is instead of clone wars we're going to have separatist wars and it's going to be seven seasons of getting you attached to cl- to the uh, droids. Maybe like you know, like a droid sitcom, like you know, droid, dro- uh, a droid's life. You know, <laughs> right? Well, you know, what they're going to deal with their battle scars, and they're going to deal with you know, what do they do if uh, when the war is over, and how do you you know, how do they go back to to civilian life, and you know, what do you do if you're a a beat up battle droid in, in the galaxy? You know, how how do you make a living? Yeah, you're, you're probably going to shoot and kill people, and now you have to like you know go you know cook some food at a bar, like whatever. <laughs> you know, have to deal with the, the post traumatic stress of. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that might actually work. I, <laughs> I, mean, I should have trademarked that crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, if you're listening, Dave Filoni or uh, John Favreau, no. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We, we did kind of talk about it in the little recap. But I, I do like Din Djarin's rules lawyering about letting Bo-Katan have the dark saber. It's like, well, hey, you know, she beat the thing that beat me, so uh, it's hers. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Honor satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, as soon as that happened, I looked over at my son and said, uh, when, when she picked up the dark saber, and I said, it's hers now. And even though she gave it back, I was like, no, she's going to get it. You know, I was vindicated yeah, so, on that one. Yeah, it's a nice little shortcut, and it does fit the whole deal. So it's like, okay, fine. You know, if they, they they believe in honor and whatever, and they sold it. Good job. <laughs> so, but then after episode six, we have the probably the best two episodes, probably of the whole three seasons, three and a half seasons of The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to forget the other half of Boba Fett. Anyway. But yeah, so yeah. But we the could Vespas. Be... The Vespas. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Space biker gang. Anyway. <laughs> Scooter gang. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we get to Grogu being a mech pilot. And you know, jumping around, and of course him spamming because yes, yes, now yes, he can talk. Yes, yeah, he, yes, he's yes. he was walking around like you know. I don't know if he should have this thing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it was just fantastic. And then like obviously no, which he has, he has a big no at the end when they're they're fighting, and he's like you know breaks them up. It's like no, you know. So I loved it. That was that was fantastic. And of course, basically this is like 
a two episode movie where it's just it's just fights, 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 shoot, you know, pew pew, shoot, shoot, with you know, basically equal forces here because now the the stormtroopers are best car armed like the Mandalorians. So, which apparently only is good when you hit them where it's not armored, which is a lot more places than you would think. <laughs> but, well, Beskar is a finite resource, so. Yeah, because it's hard to, to armor up like the joints, you know, so you can't really do that. Yeah, which does lead to a funny, just as a side note, I did see, again, I like I like reading up on all the spoilers once I've watched something. I like going and digging for all the things, the, the theories. And there was a, a theory that the um, armor was going to end up being a bad guy because her of how similar her mask was to the one of um, Gideon had. So, hmm. anyway. Well, speaking of things I guess you didn't hear about in spoilers or whatever, or whatever, or behind the scenes. So why is Axe Wolves thruster pack so much better than everybody else's? Like, you know, everybody else couldn't get that far on the planet when they're chasing that large bird a couple of episodes ago. But his thruster pack can go from underneath the ground, however many hundreds of feet, into space. <laughs> That's like miles and miles and miles versus going like cross town that they couldn't do. <laughs> well, yeah, so... so- Two, two thoughts on that. I'll come up with two excuses, and you can shoot them both down. Um, the one I saw online was that uh, you don't really know how long they were chasing that bird. You know, they could have been chasing it for, you know, a lot, lot further. So that's that's kind of the theory. I don't buy it. And the other one, it's my personal theory, which is, hey, he was in charge for so long, he just had, he just gave himself the best equipment. Yeah, it's like you. I want a thruster pack that can hit escape velocity. Why? <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Nobody else gets it. Just me. Yeah. Because you never know. And hey, look, it paid off. See? So there you go. <laughs> and then, yeah, of course, you know, the fights with these Praetorian guards were great. You know, it's nice to know that they can fight and not just look cool like in episode eight or whatever, right? When they just got rolled over, basically. Yeah. And, and Gro- Grogu doing the, the force snatch on all the weapons just to keep them, you know, off off balance while Din tore them apart was pretty good. <laughs> and then, of course, we have the final climactic fight with Gideon and Bo-Katan and to prove he's the big bad, you know, you just, you just can't defeat him with one person. You know, basically, it took all three of them finally working together to beat him. Although it, technically, I guess you really needed a fourth per, a fourth person to bring a capital ship with you and crash him into him. <laughs> but hey, you know, you, you gotta be sure, right? You know, this is only only way to be sure. Nuka from orbit, only way to be sure. And then yeah. of course, Gro- Grogu apparently is now like the Force Master and can put up a Force bubble to save everybody from an exploding capital starship, which also is pretty cool. And didn't need a nap at the end because previously he's had to, you know, take a nap almost immediately after using that much power. And this time he's just like, no, I'm good. I'll sit down, but I'm, I'm good. Yeah, he kind of sat down like, you know, huh. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't like pass out like he did at the beginning of the season. So, yeah. But yeah, I got to I got to give more more props to Gideon's armor, right? Because the, the were uh, robot armor feel to it um, was just, you know, amazing and kind of explained how he could hold his on against both Din and Bo-Katan at the same time and, you know, crush the dark saber and all the kind of cool stuff he pulled off in this, this episode. Although, you know, RIP dark saber, because that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, unless the armor is good at rebuilding that, I don't know what it took to build it in the first place. I mean, I'm assuming Mandalorians built it, so maybe they can rebuild it now that they got the forge back. I don't know. Yeah. There's a whole, so there's some whole backstory on the original Mandalore guy whose name is escaping me, who was a, I guess, a Jedi of some kind, um, and conquered and, and unified Mandalore and was kind of the first, you know, overall ruler of Mandalore. And, uh, the dark saber was his, hence why anybody who has, it's kind of the leader. So okay. there's a, there's a whole cool little backstory there. Uh, so yeah, on one hand, it's, it's a shame to see it go, but on the other, there's some cool thoughts of, you know, what happens if, if Mandalorians now have to choose a leader differently and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and you know, if they do a season four or whatever, who knows? They might see that. And yeah. if they don't, like like I said before, at least they end this all on a nice happy note. You know, everything's tied up in a nice. You know, you can't really complain or you know, no cliffhanger bow. Everything's done. Grogu is now adopted. You know, they're back to bounty hunting, doing what they want. You know, they got the little little home home on the range. And in the Western theme, now you got IG-11 back as the new sheriff in town. So, and Bo-Katan's leader of Mandalore, and she can take off her helmet, and everybody's happy with no helmets, except the people that have to wear helmets, and everybody's happy. So yeah. now it's time to go out there and recruit more Mandalorians to come home. So happy ending for everybody. Yeah, which, you know, could lead into the the book of Bo-Katan. The book of Bo-Katan kind of rolls a little bit, so we could always have that <laughs> as the, the next spinoff, because you've got Katie Sackhoff, you might as well use her. So... And, yeah, and we, ne- we, we never saw um, Pedro Pascal's face at all because he was too busy with uh, what The Last of Us or whatever to show up for a scene to take off his helmet. So, hey. <laughs> yeah, props to a stuntman, though. He sold it. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think there'll be more. But, uh, yeah, either way, like you said, this is a good good wrap-up of the season. And, and it could even be a series wrap-up, although I think they're not done selling stuff. So we'll, we'll see what they bring out next. Obviously, we've got uh, Ahsoka coming up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see if they want to do a, a season four of Mandalorian. I don't know how much it costs or how much money, how you quantify now in a streaming world, like how much it's worth to keep spending millions on things. But, you know, it's, it's popular. Everybody loves it. So maybe they'll bring back four, season four. Or like I said last time, you know, there's a, the idea of one of those movies coming out eventually will be like a, a wrap up of all the these live action Disney Plus stories, you know, Soka, Boba Fett and Mandalorian. So who knows? They might save it for that. They could call it the Star Defenders. Yeah. <laughs> Space Cops. <laughs> well, they already tried that one. That's yeah, well. Although I, I still think a, a Bo-Katan, Din Djar, and Space Cops buddy movie would be pretty good, too. Well, you have to go out and get new Mandalorians, so you got to go where they are. So you never know. All right. Anything else to rave about, about Mandalorian Season 3? No, other than, like you said, obviously it's, it's you know, given, given how the Book of Boba Fett went, and while I didn't dislike it as much as some people uh, online did it was not, not up to the same standard as mandalorian it's good to see the mandalorian back to its uh same level of standards and and i would say even surpassing uh what was a good second season so yep i agree all right so that's the end of the mandalorian for now to be continued dot, dot, dot. We'll see. so next time if we want to keep it in the star wars family we could give our thoughts about bad batch season two yeah, another that's only, that's only 16, 16 episodes, so we won't quite go through the recap like we did because <laughs> we'll be here yeah, forever. Yeah, <laughs> we, we may just talk about that one. Uh, so do your homework, read up on that one if you're interested in hearing our thoughts. Yep, yeah, because yeah, 16 episodes. We're not going to go episode by episode. No way. In no. one one half hour bit of a podcast. Because so. I have thoughts. So Yeah, right. <laughs> and we'll find out next time. So that's it, and we'll see you again whenever. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>